morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. It is Friday. Let's see, February 23rd. I'm excited. We're two, two months into the year. I can't believe it already. If you're not a sixth of the way to your goal for this year, better get going. It's time to move. Uh, if you've been with us before, you know I'm a sales coach and trainer, and I founded the Sales Pro Network to elevate the profession of sales. And every Friday, we do a live interview with somebody who can add value into the profession of sales. And I guarantee you, my friends, Today is no exception. I actually had the great privilege, and I'm really excited to introduce this gentleman to you because I had the privilege of sitting in on a webinar he did, I think about six months ago. I was blown away by his expertise and his ability to get really to the bottom of things, really in a clear way that uh, even a non-marketing person and a non-messaging person like me could deeply understand. He is the mind magnetizer and he helps people say all the right things to the, in their marketing, their networking conversations and their sales calls so that they're clearly communicating their most compelling value. That was a mouthful. His <laughs> clients tell him that they didn't realize that their messaging was leaving money on the table because it wasn't attracting people who could have been customers. And after working with this gentleman, his prospects are saying, hearing, I'm sorry, his clients are hearing their prospects say yes way more often and typically get a 2x to 5x return. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Michael Leibowitz. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Jeff. Really good to be here with you. And let me just say off the top, the reframe you gave about it's being February, most people think, oh, it's still the beginning of the year. It's like, no, we're one six in. You only got five more left. <laughs> it's, it's, that puts a fire under you. You know, Michael, I, I, I want to get to the questions for you, but but I consistently get people towards the end of the year who reach out to me all panicked because they realize they're not going to hit their goal and they want my help. I can't help you in November. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I can help you, but probably for next year, the, right, time exactly. to, the time to buckle down and do what you need to do is right now. It was actually at the end of last month, but there's still plenty of time left. If you get to it now, get the help you need, read the book you need, go to the, do whatever you need to do, but you yep. don't want to wait till the holidays at the end of the year to start kicking ass because now is the time. Totally With that, right. Michael, would you do me do us a favor before we get to the million and one questions I have for you because I'm fascinated by what you do. Can sure. you tell us a little bit about your background? What brought you up to this point? So um, I'll try to make the long version the short version. This all started literally when I think back on it in the first grade. Uh, that was my first experience with uh, seeing how kids treat each other. Some teasing, some not, like who got accepted, who isn't. It was a big mystery to me. And I think that's when my deep interest in how do human beings understand each other really started because I was massively confused, you know, at six years old. Uh, and that eventually, and here's where I'm, I'm shortening things a bit, that eventually led to me studying a whole bunch of methodologies about that subject, neurolinguistic programming, psychology, other techniques that have three-letter acronyms and names that no one's ever going to recognize, right? Um, and one day, I just noticed uh, I was watching something on TV, and I don't even know what it was, but I said, that's not how brands work in our brains. This is how brands work in our – oh, my gosh, this is how brand works in our brain. Right? The light bulb moment went off. The first thing I did was uh, I said, I have to tell people about this. I have these ideas. And having zero experience in public speaking, what did I do? I started public speaking. And I loved it, uh, but I didn't have any, I just had the talk, right? I had a whole other business before, like completely different from messaging. And um, after the, this one conference where I'm speaking in front of like 300 senior executives and so on and so forth, I just luckily found myself there. These guys come up to me and say, we need your help. How do you work with your clients? 
I don't have clients not in this space at that time. But sensing opportunity, I just looked him in the eye and said, I have a workshop. <laughs> right? And they go, fantastic. You know, they want to know how much it is. And I'm thinking to myself, do not hesitate on this answer. You have to sound like you know what the heck you're doing. And I, my subconscious takes over. I just blurt out a number. It was the exact right number. They thought about it and said, yeah, I think we can swing that. And of course, we want, they want to know when. And I'm saying, well, I'm really booked up pretty much uh, for the next month and a half to two months. But what's really going on in my mind is how much time do I need to actually put something together that actually prompt that delivers on what I just talked about? That's great. That's how this business started. Um, so I, long story, I, I did the workshop. It worked out even better than I thought it would, to tell you the truth. Um, and they were super excited about their new direction, their new messaging, the VP of marketing, just his whole world opened up. Like, I know exactly where to take everything now. And the CEO said, we've never experienced, we've been working on this problem for the past two years, but we've never experienced anything like this. And I kid you not, because this is my sense of humor. I looked him dead in the eye and said, well, I get these results for all of my clients, <laughs> which, would, <laughs> which is a database of one at that point. <laughs> That's great. I, I love that. My, my mentor in the speaking and training business early on advised me, he goes, Jeff, I don't care what people ask you for. The answer is yes, I do that. Yeah, so, exactly. Jeff, do you have a talk on law of attraction? Absolutely. hundred percent. Jeff, are you a motivational speaker? Oh yeah. I've got a great one hour talk on motivation. Uh, <laughs> exactly. You'll figure it I out. Love. And my area of expertise is sales and sales management. Yeah. But you know, those, those things certainly figure into the things I, I teach and share with people, but I didn't have talks on those. So I'm with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to something my dad once said long ago. It just said, like, bite off a little bit more than you can chew. You'll learn to chew it. Awesome. Love that. So one of the things that I know you've studied, uh, which uh, I find fascinating is behavioral neurology. So yeah. what is behavioral neurology and, and how does neurology influence our buying decisions? Yeah. So behavioral neurology is actually a term I coined because my background is in neurolinguistic programming. So like all those things I mentioned, right? Well, hey, Michael, what's, you know, what expertise do you have? What authority do you have to be uh, working in this space? I could list all those things and everyone's eyes glaze over, or I can figure out a framing for it that basically people understand. And I came up with the term behavioral neurology because that's really what I've studied is how does our neurology determine our behavior in the world? This is the, the question I had from such a very young age. I didn't even know I had the question. So that's exactly what behavioral neurology is. There's a, a specific way our neurology is set up to experience life that actually determines how we are going to behave in life. It determines how we're going to make decisions. And what I've discovered is that we all have the same structure of decision-making, though the details are individual, but we all follow the same path, <laughs> our version of the path, but it's exactly the same for everybody. Yeah. And Am I correct? Uh, it's not a matter of right or wrong or good or bad. It's, it's just the way the brain works, right? It's just the way the brain works. Yeah. Okay. Now, go ahead. there's a neurological pathway that gets someone to saying yes to you uh, in, in business. Now, the details of the what gets attached to good and bad are changed, but the, the pathway is the same. Got it. Okay. And, and for those who don't know, can you, can you explain what is NLP? So 
let's metaphorically divide the brain into two parts. There's the human brain, which does human brain kind of stuff, logic, reason, language. Let's put logic and reason in finger quotes, right? Uh, and then we have what I call the critter brain, which does only two things. It does emotions and it does survival. And of course, given a choice between making logical human brain decisions or decisions that keep us alive, guess which one we're going to do, right? We're going we're gonna to favor the ones that keep us alive. And so one of the primary ways this part of the brain is working really hard to make sure we stay alive is to make sure we surround ourselves with people who are like ourselves, what I call like kind, right? Because to this part of the brain, which again, only does emotions and survival, uh, if it had language, it would say something like, I don't want me to die, therefore people like me probably don't want me to die either. So let's go hang around those people, right? Crucially, this means anything that is considered not sufficiently like kind is now a potential threat to survival. Oh gosh, those are the stakes. So here's the pathway. How do you communicate in a way that instantly lets your audience, the ones you want to attract, know that you are the most survivable option so that the decision to say yes is now available? Because without you being survivable, there is no chance they're going to say yes to you yet you could have exactly what they need, <laughs> right? So the details of, of what is the criteria for survival and the like kind is individual, but the pathway, like that's the pathway you have to target is universal. And, and are we talking about the same thing, the, the same part of the brain that wants to keep us from making a mistake? Oh, yes and no. Um, mistakes, are usually related to social acceptance and belonging, right? If I make a mistake, I will be rejected because it was wrong. Whatever I'm, talking, I'm talking about making a mistake when you're making a buying decision. Oh, I see. That kind of, not like a social mistake, a, a buying yeah, yeah. decision. Um, I don't want to look bad to my boss. I don't want to spend money on this. Well, that's, that comes back to the social decision, right? If, if, if the mistake is someone's going to see that I made a mistake, Yes, that gets down to survival because one of the primary, no, I want to be with like kind also relates to, I don't want to be rejected by like kind. And so being rejected because you made a mistake is a threat, right? So it's one, but an internal like, oh crap, I, I, I shouldn't have done this when I should have done that, but who cares on the outside? Um, no, that's just unfortunate. That <laughs> has nothing to do with, I've bought, I've bought plenty of programs that, uh, just weren't, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And it's like, okay, you move on with life. Right. But have I made mistakes at a place I was working? Yeah. And boy, did that hurt. Gotcha. And I know one of the things you suggest is we're actually designed to not understand each other. Is yes. that correct? Absolutely. Maybe, maybe that's why my marriage didn't work out. Can you explain a little more <laughs> on that? Yeah. So obviously you and I are communicating with language, but before the language can come out of the mouth, there's a whole bunch of steps that the brain goes through to find the right words. So step number one, have an idea of what you intend to communicate. Now you think that you go from there to words. Uh-uh. There's two steps in between. One is what do you believe about what you want to say? Right? And then what meaning does that have in your world? And through that, through that filter, that calculation, the belief and the meaning, right? Then we try to find the language that matches all of that. So I intend to say this concept, 
but it's being filtered through my beliefs and meanings about the world. And so that's the language I use to express it. Now, you're a human on, with human brain and human neurology. You receive that language, but before you understand the idea of it, it goes through your own filter of beliefs and meanings about the world. And so the language is in, it's imperfect. It contains a lot of distortion, deletion, and generalization because we think the other person understands the world the same way we do, but there's differences in the filter, <laughs> right? So yeah, we're kind of designed to not truly understand each other. It's kind of a miracle we do at all, but which is why you see a lot of people, no, 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 that's not what I meant to say. Or a lot of times when I'm working with uh, teams, like the sales team is in the room, the marketing team's in the room, and I'll do a deep dive into just like what one person meant by that specific word that they used. And we go down into it and we find that baseline, like what they really meant. And someone on the other team, like say it's, I'm talking to the sales, someone, blah, blah, blah. And then someone on the marketing team will say, is that what you've been trying to tell me for the past two years? I thought you meant this thing. And they both, and you can see like the piece of communication is true from point, both points of view, but they didn't know what filters they were using. And so that's where the miscommunication came across. And all this is happening at lightning speed. Oh, lightning speed. Absolutely. It's not, it's not, okay, let's do this now. And it's going to filter through this. It's just, boom, it just happens. Yeah. So, so um, what can we do to get past, well, everybody understands me and everybody thinks like me, which I clear, clearly is not the case. Yeah. So, and how do we communicate more effectively in a way that people do go, uh, oh, I get what he or she is trying to say. And yeah. In other words, what's the neurology of yes? How do we how do we get to yes more often? Well, the, the, the neurology of yes is what I explained previously about like kind, to communicate in a way that establishes like kind. But how do we uh, communicate with each other more effectively is to focus on what do I really mean to say by what I'm saying? What's the, what's the meaning I'm looking for? Um, and even... If I'm asking you to do something, taking a step back is like, what will having this do for me? You answer that question for the other person, and then you, you get the result you want. Now, what's the neurology of yes? The neurology of yes is on top of anything you're communicating is this meta frame of, are you like kind? And the way we calculate that is through two things. I, uh, in the workshop that you attended and in anything I speak about uh, publicly, the two things that you can communicate to an audience that will get them to understand you faster than anything else are these two things. Number one, what is the main outcome you deliver for them, right? Most people think about what they do, but not about the outcome of what they do. So the best way that I ever heard this expressed was by a gentleman named Theodore Levitt from Harvard Business School back in the mid 1900s, where he said, people don't want a quarter inch drill. What they want is a quarter inch hole, right? So using that metaphor for anyone listening on your business, well, the thing you do is the drill. What's the hole, <laughs> right, that people actually want from it? So when you communicate that, you're communicating more effectively. But lots of people can communicate that. You have competition. The more clear you are, the more ahead of the game. So that leads us to the second thing, and this is pure critter brain communication. The critter brain just wants to know, do we share the same beliefs about it? 
What do you believe to be true about what you do? And beliefs do not have to be profound. They just have to be true. I once worked with a client. Their belief in their system was it's fun to show off. And we can go back to that story a little bit later. But it, it just doesn't have to be profound. The reason beliefs are, are candy to the creator brain. When I know what you believe, I know who you are. And therefore, you are now survivable. As long as what you believe does not violate my criteria for, for staying alive, right? Now, there's a lot of room. I just have to know what you believe. And most people, especially in business, aren't communicating on that level. Therefore, you become an unknown quantity to the career brain and it throws up a bunch of threat assessment. Hence, maybe I'll think about it or no. Why take the risk? So what's the main outcome you deliver and share with them a belief that you hold about what it is that you do? And you are about, my estimation, about 80 to 90% of the way to, a, to the sale, to a yes. The rest is logistics, how much and when, right? But those two things, and this is the big mistake I see most business communication making, is that uh, usually the belief stuff is on the about page and buried pretty deeply when it should be on the front page and said explicitly. Uh, and the outcome is nowhere to be seen. It's just like, here's a bunch of features and benefits my thing does, which is human brain communication, which is great, but the critter brain's going, what about me? I need to make a decision of whether or not I can say yes to you or not. Hmm. So it, I could certainly say I sell sales training and sales coaching, but what I really sell, in my opinion, is increased sales, increased confidence when selling. Perhaps it, it, it could even be you sell livelihood. Right. Like you're, you're going to use you sell the ability to provide for yourself and provide a, a good, decent life for yourself. Right. Because these yeah. your clients are people who have usually the, the owner of their own business, no matter what the size. Right. Why did they go into business to create a life for themselves? Right. Otherwise, I'd be happy to be an employee for someone else. So it could be that deep. Right. This is not about making a sale. This is about making a livelihood for yourself. That's what we're really talking about here. And I've said that many times that, you know, yeah. what I do helps people feed their families and their companies and themselves. That's the outcome. Exactly. Exactly. The way you provide that outcome is by sales training. It just right. happens to be the what you do <laughs> to get there. Michael, I often say, I'm, I don't believe, other than a very ugly picture, which I'm about to paint, my clients could not care less if I stood on my head naked, whistling Dixie in front of their sales teams all day, as long as at the end of the day, they close more business, which gives right. them the ability to feed totally. their families themselves and their companies. Totally. Yep. But let's get to the belief part. So yeah. if, if we need to understand what our prospects' beliefs are, mm. um, how, I mean, that's crucial, yes? Yes and no. I actually reverse it. Most here's where I uh, am a little bit iconoclastic with most of the marketing common wisdom out there is they say you got to go out there and know your audience, right? Even Peter Drucker, very famous marketer, said, no, a marketer's job is to know their customers so well that the product sells itself type of thing. But the neurology tells us that's not the case. The neurology tells us to know your customer, you must first know yourself. Because remember, we're creating like kind. You have to know who you are 
and then that will tell you who your ideal customers are. You've done customer avatars before, I'm sure, right? You've seen them. They are always, no matter how the pathway to get to the customer avatar, anyone filling one out invariably ends up describing themselves. I've never seen one that isn't like, is this you? And they look at it carefully like, oh crap, it really is, right? We wanna be with like kind. So when we talk to a customer, who's your ideal customer? It's a version of ourselves, right? So to know yourself, to know what your belief system is and what I call belonging traits, like what's, what, how do you calculate belonging, right? Well, that ends up being your ideal customer. And there's a way to uh, communicate in a way that that person who shares your same belief and belonging traits and meanings will go, holy cow, this Jeff guy really knows what he, he knows what's up. Right. And they become your customers. I had a conversation recently with someone who's telling me about an awful customer they have. Right. And she's hearing me talk about this stuff. And she said, well, won't this sort of makes some people like not want to say yes to me. Like, yeah, it will. And you're experiencing one right now and you hate it, don't you? And she's like, oh my, so yeah, that person would never have gotten into your orbit. Had you been communicating clearly like this, they would have seen your or experienced your beliefs and it's like, I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. And so I say, communicate, know yourself that way, know your audience, right? Your job is, your job as a business owner is to communicate clearly, right? To communicate your beliefs, then find the people who share the same beliefs as you do. They're hanging around some places. And I got, I got a story about this. Sell them stuff because they're already in alignment with you. It's going to be so much easier for you. And I'm a big fan of always making your sales job as easy as possible. I, I got into an argument with my coach several years back because I was incredibly vocal online yeah. about my political beliefs. And I don't care yeah. which side of the aisle you're on, but I That's was right. incredibly vocal about it. And at one point, she's not yelling at me, but she was, she goes, are, are you kidding me? Don't you understand you're turning off half the country? And I said, I don't care. I only need to have <laughs> agrees with me. Here's an example. Um, one of my things about my customer, my, my ideal client profile is I only want to work with people who are fun to work with. Exactly. So are you saying I see myself as fun to work with, which I do? You see, no. Well, the people who are fun to work with, other people would say that's not fun to work with, right? So you have your criteria. What's, what's your happy place? Other people have their criteria for it. Go communicate that and attract those people. Not only attract them as like, like you, you put it out there and magically they show up. No, we are constantly hanging out with like kind. And here's the story I want to tell you. This goes back to what I said before about that uh, one company's belief. It's fun to show off. This is a company that makes uh, or made cooking gadgets. Their sales were flat for like a year and a half and their marketing was going almost nowhere. So they worked with me and we discovered finally that the belief system run operating in this business, a small team of like five people, was that the uh, CEO loved to host dinner parties. Why? Because he loved the attention he was getting, like the, holy crap, you made this, this is amazing, right? He loved to show off. And of course, we hire like kind. So all the VPs around him, and which some of which were his close friends, were like, yes, we love, oh my, yeah, that, that was the operating belief in the system that turned into a message of rather than 
hey, we have, we have these things you can use to cook. It's fast. It's this. It's that, which is their competition was saying the exact same thing. They said, hey, do you want to be the star of the dinner party? Completely different value prop, right? And very outcome based. Right? The outcome of this is that you get to be, all, you get to be the star. Well, what we ask ourselves is, what are the traits of someone who would share that same belief? And of course, one of the low-hanging fruit ones was people who crave attention. Fantastic. Where do people who crave attention hang out? What are they doing online in the real world? What's, what are they doing? Where are they, where are they finding themselves? And one of the answers that came out of this brainstorm, I forget who said it, was like, this is making me think of someone who's having like a little elective cosmetic surgery, a little Botox, a little nip and a tuck and such like that. And we all had a kind of a good laugh about it. Several months later, I get a call from the VP of marketing saying, you never guess what we did. So what'd you do? It says, we did a Facebook ad campaign. It just ran for like a week where we targeted on Facebook. However, they calculate this stuff. We checked the boxes for people who are like Botox and things like that and crafted a very specifically targeted campaign for that audience that still said like be the star of the dinner party but was really we dialed up on the get get the attention right be be the one everyone's looking at and even with the imagery of like that i i provided them like here's the guidelines for the imagery of have one person that everyone's paying attention to right and they said we just we just wanted to have a story to tell that was funny Turned out there's a huge market there for us. And we're the only one in our category playing there. Wow. And they said, we got, we got significant click through and even buy through from that one understanding. This is what you said, like, you have to understand your audience. No, you have to understand yourself to know where your audience is. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and you say when you find the meaning, you find the message. Well, what does that mean? So the meaning is really built up of uh, uh, outcome and belief. You have to give your audience the meaning with which they should understand you. Because without you giving it to them, they will make it up for you based on their history of life. And you have zero control over that. You've lost the narrative, right? When you say, I go out there and I do sales training. Well, you're not just saying that. Everything is communication, right? Your tone of voice, the way you're dressed, the background you use, everything is a form of communication. So if you're not giving me the main outcome and the main belief that you operate into, I'm going to make some assumptions about that, that I'm just going to place on you. I'm going to attach meaning to you and judge you based on the meanings that I just happen to randomly grab. But if you give them the outcome and the beliefs, the meaning, we will happily accept your proposal and use what you tell us to use to understand you, right? Hmm. It's, it's pretty remarkable. It, in any human interaction, the person with the strongest belief wins every single time. In the uh, sort of story I like to say is if the child believes they deserve that piece of candy more than their parent believes they don't, guess who's getting candy, <laughs> right? It's going to happen. So we human beings operate this way. So when you present the most compelling, like it's your core belief about your business, you become the strongest belief in the room. And anyone interacting with you will adopt that belief as the one we're using to understand everything. As long as that belief doesn't violate 
you know, survival. This is why Hillary Clinton isn't getting invited to speak at the NRA National Convention, right? The police systems are just too far apart. Right. And it's why Donald Trump is so effective at what he does. He, I, I don't know in his darkest moments whether he believes what he's saying, but he sure comes across. He 100% does. He does. He 100% does. He, he is blissfully free of any doubt about what he is saying is the act is the way it actually is. Therefore, he has become the most uh, uh, the strongest belief in the room. And for everyone, and this is everyone who's voting for him and is still behind him, even to this day, after you know, seeing the actual behavior in office, don't care because they believe the same thing about the world and themselves. And they so they will adopt his beliefs. And the reason why you have such polarization is those beliefs are an absolute violation of everyone else's criteria for survival and belonging in the world. And that's why it's a it's a hell no for everyone else. Right. It's, right. it's, it's like a, his followers. Whatever you are, think about the guy, it is effective. <laughs> right. A hundred percent. I think he's masterful at it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely incredible. Um, so what big mistakes do you see people make? when they talk about their business value. I mean, and yeah. how do we how do we get to what is our, our own belief about ourselves? Yeah, I'll, I'll give uh, the technology away right now. It's, it's not easy to do yourself. It's like doing therapy on yourself. It's like you can try, you know, good luck. But the main question to ask to get to your main belief, you know, Simon Sinek came out with that talk, that famous sure. talk, like, what's your why? Um, and it's a great talk. Here's the thing. Never ask yourself, what's your why? Here's why. Because that question makes the, the, this critter brain freak out. We attach a whole bunch of value, like, how am I going to be perceived? Because there's only one why, and it better be good, right? So we kind of throw up a bunch of false positives. Here's a better question to get at that answer. What's important to you about the work you're doing? And the word you is doing all the heavy lifting. This is about you, not your audience. What's important to you? So Jeff, if I asked you, what's important to you about the, the methodology you're using for uh, generating sales? What would you say that is? Um, well, the ability to take care of myself and my family. Well, that's the outcome. But what's there's so many ways to take care of yourself and your family, right? What is it about sales that is important to you? Oh, uh, so serving people with integrity. Okay. So the belief in there is well, you have to serve people with integrity, right? That's the, that's the subtext belief. That's, there's always a belief in there somewhere. So that's one of them. And we all, we bring in so many beliefs into our business. And my job is to find many of them. And then we do the Sophie's choice of, that's an outdated reference, but <laughs> I got which one's your favorite? But yeah, Which one do we kill? Right, right, exactly. But, you know, to go out there and to communicate that this, yes, I'm training in sales, but really one has to have deep integrity in sales to do this well. And so anyone else who holds the same belief about having integrity in their life, not that other people don't, it's just not like a high value thing for them, but the ones who do have that integrity, yeah, that's a, that's a big deal to me they're going to be in your world, right? Mm. However, the big mistake most businesses make is simply say, hey, I'm going to do sales training. You're going to learn X, Y, and Z. Like, 
the things, right? And uh, you're, you know, you're going to close 10% more. It's like, well, what does that mean though, right? It means the, the outcome really, what they should have said was you're going to be able to create a livelihood finally out of what you're doing. And so we communicate on this level of benefits, features, the thing we do, maybe even the who we, these are all human brain communication. And that's not the part of our brain making the real decision. Mm. You can say all those things, but they are secondary and even tertiary levels of communication. The first thing you got to say is you can orient people. Hey, we do sales training so you can finally make a livelihood out of the business you're in, right? Fantastic. Then you can say some stats like, you know, we, this will help you close at you know, 10 to X number percent. But now I have context for that number. And then right away below that, without integrity, you got nothing, right? And then you can say a little bit about integrity and sales. Now I know exactly what the outcome is mm -hmm. and I have the measure of you and what you mean in my life and what, because you're all about integrity. Who doesn't want to be around integrity? Well, right. there's well, clearly there's a whole portion of the population right. who just had that conversation um, that, that doesn't have that. I was like, who cares about integrity? I just want to make money. They're a whole different audience. Not my you know? avatar. Not, not, and, and if they came into your world, you'd hate it. Right. right. I don't want to deal with them anyways. Exactly. I, I want the person who says, I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to right. be manipulative. I want to be able to sleep at night and truly help people. That, exactly. That's my so I got that is summarized that. in the frame of integrity. All right. We have a question from the audience, but before that, we're going to take 60 seconds for a quick commercial from our sponsor, which is me. Hang in there. Okay. Hi, I'm Jeff Goldberg, the founder of the Sales Pro Network. For nearly five decades, I've been selling, managing, coaching, and training salespeople internationally. And I'm often asked for one-on-one -on -one or private coaching, but it does involve a substantial investment. For that reason, I've recently developed the SalesPro Insider Network community. It works like this. We get together twice a month on Tuesday nights from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern. At the first session of the month, it's you and me, with me taking your questions and giving you the advice and help you need to both prospect and sell more effectively. At the second session of the month, we'll have a guest coach speaking on a fascinating topic that helps sellers like you and me. And of course, we'll do group coaching then too. The best part is the investment is just $27 for the first month, and there's no long-term contract at all. In fact, you can cancel it anytime. Go to crushsalesgoals.com. That's C-R-U-S-H-S-A-L-E-S-G-O-A-L-S.com. I hope to see you there. So it sounds like I need to change that messaging. I would include the, the word integrity is missing. Got it. Yeah. All right. Let, let's go to our question. This is Dr. Rich Atkins, one of my favorite people. He says, like kind goes against the notion of need for diversity. No, it doesn't. Um, there are several ways to calculate like, in fact, we have many different like kinds. It's not just, uh, 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 I personally, I have a like kind of nerds. I, I'm a huge nerd. I love Star Wars, the Star Trek stuff, right? I also have a like kind around skiing. I also have a like, right? There's so many, like the type of, it's all based on our identity, right? And I don't mean like identity politics. I mean like our sense of who we are and who we are not. And there's, however you calculate that is all the different ways that you have like kind. The work that you have ahead of you is to figure out what aspects of like kind are you bringing to the fore in your business, right? Because all businesses 
are a reflection of the people who are running them. They are literally aspects of self. So what aspects of self are you really relying on when you have your business? Go find like kind based on those. You have so many other versions of like kind, right? I have like kind of bald men, right? I have like kind of people who live in California. I have like kind who have relatives in the West East Coast, right? Right. What would violate right uh, like kind for me are, and we can go really generalize, are people who are callous to other people, right? Are people who are uh, type A aggressive about business building. You know those type of people are like, oh, grind, go go get, ah, scream and yell, that whole grind culture thing. Not like kind for me, not bad people. We might be like kind in other contexts, mm. right? They, we might see each other like on, online for the next uh, Marvel movie and be like, what's up, bro? Woo, all good. In business, no dice. Totally okay. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, when I founded the face, the, the uh, Sales Pro Network, which is a free Facebook group, uh, I did some research and I looked for other Facebook groups for sellers. And 99% of them were people who were bragging about how much money they make, what kind yeah. of car they drive, <laughs> how you got to crush people and, yeah. and i was like that's not me i i don't want to play with those people at all no fact, not at all. I, I joined the groups to check them out but i quickly yeah. left them all because i don't even want to get the notices and, from those kind of people that's not my tribe that's not exactly I and i would bet that all those people were probably what we normally would think of as diversity a diverse people from all different countries gender heights skin Absolutely. color everything so we're not talking about like is is like kind the end of diversity no it's not it's just what do you like <laughs> right God, so all, all, all you fellow nerds out there woot woot. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we stand out from the crowd when we're faced with massive competition because in most yeah. of the businesses that i run into there's plenty of competition massive so competition and other people who do what i do yeah uh, okay so lean into the belief really hard lots of sales trainers out there even jeff a lot of sales trainers who lean into integrity right probably so there's a so we can say integrity but we can frame it and you have your own sort of version of it to tell you the truth so if you and i were working together i'd dig into that and find what is the right the just the precise way to frame your version of integrity that is so jeff goldberg that People like hear that and go, that's that's the one I want, right? So beliefs are going to be, the outcome is what they really want. The beliefs are gonna be why they want it from you and not anyone else. Because you are the most survivable option in the room, right? So, so I'm not just looking for people who are looking for integrity in their sales. Uh, I do stand-up comedy on the side. I use humor when I train. So I want people who appreciate humor and fun while they're doing it. You can, in fact, yes, you, that, if you want to get that granular, you can, right? And you do that, I, I believe in show, don't tell. So for things like fun and funny, that tells me that the way that your copy in whatever form is written should have a sense of humor to it, right? And that will attract the kind of people like, he's got a sense of humor, another, another pinpoint in like kind right integrity sense of humor i i like this guy i want to i want to be in his world i want to see what he's all about let me investigate rather than the one who's dead serious 
talking about uh, strategy and, and tactics and numbers. I'm like, mm, not me. Same, same outcome, right? Livelihood for the family, although you're talking about livelihood, they're talking about something else, but people can make inferences. Different audience, right? And they're, not, they're, they're probably not looking for a wisecracking Jew from New York. Probably not, probably not. And this brings me to uh, a niche. Aren't neat, aren't like the riches are in the niches, right? A niche is just a shorthand for, uh, for uh, belief and belonging, right? To say, to, for like kind. Uh, I once knew a gentleman who had a, uh, this is back when uh, digital marketing was still fresh and new, but, but enough that everyone was doing it. And so it wasn't enough anymore to say, hey, I'm a digital marketer. I'm like, well, isn't all marketing digital now? Anyway, um, he said, I didn't, I didn't find success in my business until I niched all the way down to digital marketing for music schools, right? Because he used to run a music school. He's a musician. He understands those are his like kind, right? And that's when people who own music schools said, finally, someone for me. And I asked him, is there anything different about what you're doing in marketing for these people? Then he's like, no, it's nothing different. Right? He does not know how to speak their language. And what's happening there is anyone who owns a music school now sees like kind in the niche, right? Because you, you, you said me and they identify that way. But if anyone else comes along and says, hey, I do digital marketing for music schools too, so do I, so do I. Okay, now you have competition. And then you're back to beliefs. So niches are really good as long as you're swimming in a pool where you can uh, reasonably the only one or the only one of only a few who are doing it there. Mm. Um, but your belief is always your belief and hardly anyone communicates them. And if you are able to communicate strongly held belief, you are really differentiating quite effectively. I love that. I'm think, I, I just, I make notes as you're speaking because yeah. every, every word that comes out of your mouth, I think is genius. I wrote, you got to re-record that commercial. It's got to get the messaging in about fun and integrity. <laughs> and by the way, Sonny Singh says, uh, the riches are in the niches. I love that. Me yeah, too. it's an old saying. I can't coin that. Uh, and and niching into a, a specific like kind, whether that's a, it's a market category like uh, uh, um, music school or for people who are sick and tired of X, Y, and Z, right? It's a niche in a way, identifying like kind. It's a shortcut to that. Uh, it's not very deep, but it works really effectively. So you're, you're at, the, at the bottom, you, I think you're really saying, you know, why not make your life easier and sell to the people who want to buy from you? The people who, the people Why are we banging our head against the wall and doing these mass shotgun, like, I hope to hit someone sort of blast? Like, no, understand yourself first. And in the methodology, I said, like, what's your, what's your main outcome? What do they get when they got what you gave them? <laughs> right. And what's important to you about what you are doing? Right. For the cooking company, it was, it's fun to show off. Right? It took a while to get there. It's not very obvious all the time. This is why people hire me because it's hard to find it, but I'm good at that. Well, we're, we're going to give out your contact information yeah. at the end of this so that anybody who's interested can find and out. And then, then you craft your language around that. And it, it's not just your headline. It's not just a thing on the website. It's everything follows that. Right? It even tells you if you're doing a social media strategy, it tells you what you should be talking about in your posts, how to talk about them, right? What keywords to use to make sure that this belonging trait gets amplified so that those people hear it. 
it even goes down to the experience people have of working with you after they've said yes. It is the found to me. It's the foundation of everything that gets built in the business. You it, it is when I say message, I don't just mean like that one liner, right? The the tagline. Your message is what are you communicating to your audience? Everything else has to be built on top of that. That's foundational. So that can include the colors of your website or your marketing materials. Everything. Wow. Yeah. You have to know what you're trying to communicate. Some people call it brand DNA. I think that's a little bit vague and like, what is that? It sounds weird and markety. Like what? I don't use those terms. I think the word brand is a terrible word to describe what a brand is, which is <laughs> <Just> terrible branding. <laughs> right. But, you know, understanding that we just want to know that we share the same beliefs so that you're safe to be around. You get to tell people what your beliefs are. And lo and behold, those people come into your world and they are your best clients. And am I correct? You need to be honest about it because if you oh, yes. portray yourself as something that you're not, mm -mm. once people attract that, those right people, it actually turns out that they're going to go, no, no, he's wrong. Yeah. And they'll figure it out pretty quickly from a very young age. We are excellent BS detectors. And what I mean by BS is belief system. We learn very, very young before the age of six. How did you, how do we just instinctively know you're saying that, but I don't think you mean that, right? You just get that vibe from people. We are very good at that because survival is on the line, right? So we are, we are neurologically predisposed to be able to detect, detect that really early. So that's why a kindergartner makes friends with the friends that they make it with because they absolutely amazing 100 percent follow so, the neurology don't fight it <laughs> right. one uh there are a couple of concepts you talk about um differentiation and resonance yeah how do you define those two things and why are they important when you're selling those are just different outcomes of the subject matter where we've been talking about the uh, uh belief and meaning and outcomes and such like that we resonate with people that share our same beliefs. Here's the, you've heard the saying that people don't buy what you do, they buy you. I don't believe that, but, but okay. And you're right. I, I know more salespeople that sell that when you, when you, when you, you get me, <laughs> I don't think that's no. what they're really buying, but okay. No, yeah. no. And, and you're right to think that, but it's a saying that used to be out there. Like don't sell, like people don't buy the thing that you're delivering. They're, they're buying you. So like be a person. Well, no one buys you never have. What we, however, what we buy is the reflection of ourselves we see in you. That's what we buy, right? That's the light kind. And so resonance is just when we see our, ourselves reflected back to us in a sufficient way. Like, I resonate with you. Like, well, yeah, because I'm safe to be around. Right. I'm like kind. You're that, that critter brain just kicked in. And it, remember, it just does survival and emotions. What's the emotion it kicked out? Well, whatever chemical response happens in the brain that the human parts of the brain receive and go, I like this person. And then we wrap a, a logical, again, finger quotes, story around that of why we like them. But that's resonant. Right. And interestingly enough, this even works for the products we buy not just the people, right? Not just services. Products are, we, the neurology at play, when we see your business for the first time, you, a product, we see that thing as if it were another person. Obviously you're another person, but we see 
your business as if it were another person. And so the products we buy, we are looking for the ones that most match our identity, the thing that we calculate like kind. So there's a reason why you have the all natural wooden bamboo spatulas, and then the high tech spatula, and then the basic spatula. Well, those are all identity indicators, right? Of like kind, like I'm the kind of person I see myself as, you know, I could have been a professional chef if I'd gone that way. What kind of spatula do you think that person's going to buy? Well, the one that indicates enough requisite belonging of professional chef, like metal, like the, the, the high quality materials. And then there's a person who is simply just, I could care less about a spatula. I'm, I'm, I, this is not something I need to spend money on. Where do they go? What's the lowest cost option here, right? Match with identity. What can I get at the dollar store? And then there's, yeah. And then there's a person who doesn't want to uh, harm the environment. They're looking for the ones that are made out of like either natural materials or recyclable, right? It's all identity. It's all like kind because they're saying I'm the kind of person who identifies with and then whatever the meanings are that that product are, are conveying. That's the one we buy. And that brings me back to integrity. So if you're representing yourself with integrity, you're going to attract the right people. And if you Absolutely. don't, you're going to attract Absolutely. the wrong people. And that could very well be why they're not buying or why you're dealing with customers that yeah. they're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. And integrity can be defined in so many ways. And you have a version of that. Some people will define integrity, depending on the context of I'm going to listen and respect who you are. I'm not going to, you know, challenge you uh, in certain ways. Finally, someone who's going to work with me the way I like to be worked with, right? Um, and other and other people say integrity is no. I'm going to be. I'm going to give you the cold hard truth every single time. And there are some people like that's what I like. I'm the same way. I give people the cold hard truth, and you can see same like still still integrity. Right. But there are other people like cold, hard truth. Oh, my God. Critter brain goes starts loading up third grade. Right. The spelling bee when they failed and everyone laughed, like, oh, I don't want the cold, hard truth. They go to someone else. <laughs> right. So there's so it's I call it scale. Like how big of a scale do you want to communicate? How tiny of a scale? And we find the right scale for the business. Mm -hmm. um, that's where the art comes in more than the science. But we find it. Got it. You, you also talk about uh, guilt and innocence. How do guilt and oh, innocence affect our selling? I am so glad we, you uh, brought that up, especially in sales. Okay. When we give, we feel innocent. When we ask, we feel guilty. Human neurology, it's just how we're wired up. I thought it was how, just me. And yeah, right. No, this is a, <laughs> a sale for many people who are not, who are hiring you, Jeff, who are not experienced in sale. We often, 99 times out of 100, those people will, will attach sale as an ask, right? I'm asking you for something. In the background, loading up feelings of guilt, that's where the bad feelings come from, right? When we give, we feel innocent. So here's what happens to a lot of people uh, when they're doing a sales. I'm in a sales situation. They load up the guilt. It's ha they're not conscious of it. It's just happening. They love the guilt. So what we do is, and you've seen this, the people who are like, oh, and I'm going to give you this and this and this. And they start talking about all the little things that you get to have, right? 
what we're doing in that, and it's like, it's overloading. It, it, it never works in the sale, right? It's kind of like, we're just carpet bombing the place with these little gifts. What? We're carpet bombing the guilt with what I call innocence bombs, <laughs> right? But you get to have this and you'll have this and I'm going to give you this. I mean, like you're giving away all this stuff and you're charging like pennies, right? For all that stuff. That's all a way of assuaging the guilt. But the guilt is always there. You basically you're 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 trying to like put spices on an overcooked steak. <laughs> it's just so we often operate in this frame of guilt and innocence when really sales are going to happen when you realize, wait a second, there is no guilt or innocence in this frame. And this is your job, Jeff, is to reframe the experience of sales to not include either of those states. It's not about guilt. It's not about innocence. It's about sharing completely different, right? Or what I say, like your job is to share what you believe, find the people who hold the same belief as you do, and then offer them something that they're going to think is really amazing. Mm. There's no, there's no sale in there. There's no ask and there's no innocence in there, right? There's no give. It's just like, I got this really cool thing. I think it could be useful for these kind of people who wants in. Let's you know, like let's go ride the roller coaster together. Wee, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and that's why I say when you're asking a closing question, yeah, you're you should be making it like an invitation. And to me, the yes. essence, uh, the essence of a real invitation is I'm thrilled when you accept it, and I'm okay with it if you don't. Exactly. There's and when and the more you practice at this, the less the guilt and innocence come into play. Right. Um, and now you're just having a nice, relaxed conversation with someone. And when oh, and here's the other thing. Again, the strongest belief in the room wins. If you're in a sales situation and you're loading up a lot of guilt. That just became the strongest belief in the system. And now the other person will sense it and they load up guilt. And now woman's feeling guilty about this. Hmm. It's hard to make a sale in that situation. So so. If I'm correct, then at least part of the reason why I've been so successful in sales my entire career, but certainly in what I've been selling for the last 18 years, which is me, is yeah. because I truly do believe that when somebody engages with me, they are going to sell with integrity. They are going to make money and feed their family and do all yeah. those things. And, yeah. and it's it's a fact that the vast majority of salespeople choke right at the end. Oh, yeah. They choke when they talk about the money and yep. they they. You know, it used to be said that the number one reason salespeople fail is they don't ask for the business. Today, yes. it's really they don't they're not speaking to enough prospects. And we, we could certainly say they're not speaking to the right prospects. Yes. And secondarily, is they don't make that invitation because they don't want to hear no. Yeah. Yeah. And. How how can you make it? How can you make the invitation easy to say yes to? And it may not. Here's something that uh, I've had to sort of tell some of my clients. It's like the money stuff, right? The money conversation, I'm like, wait a second. Cause I'm looking, I, part of what I do like in the offers, like when we really go deep into your offer, like, well, what's the process that someone goes through with you? Like, why are you having the money conversation here? Oh my God, right? That's like way too soon. I just met you, <laughs> right? And so the sale could be like I do, like come to my next uh uh, uh now i'm uh, sorry my, my next workshop that's a sale right and sometimes there's a yes there's a money 
component to that. But I'm not, I don't see it as a sale. I see it as like, no, I want you in the workshop. You're going to learn so much. And my, and my, the way my belief coming from it is I often forget that there's actually a dollar amount to the workshop, right? I'm just thinking to myself, oh my God, we are going to have so much fun in that workshop. Cause it is, it is one of my favorite days of the month. I do them monthly because I get to do this. I get to have this kind of interaction with everyone in the room. And we work on your message in the room. It's, a, it's an actual workshop. It's not a web, webinar. No, yes, you do. Absolutely. And so I, I load up how fun it's going to be together. Right. And then they, they go with the thing and I, I, and then Eventbrite says, you earn this much from the thing. I'm like, oh crap, that's right. I, I get, I totally forgot that that was a money thing. But when I'm talking, and so that's step one and then step two. And then finally, when I'm having a conversation with someone, um, by then, we've gotten to know each other so well and I've only, I only attract the people who I really get along with. So when I'm having a sales conversation, it's like two peas in a pod having a great time because I've filtered out everyone else. They just didn't even enter my world. And, and then they say, well, let's talk about the money. And for them, it's kind of like, I just want to know what the number is. And I mean, it's not like a convincing guilt or innocence thing at all <laughs> by then. Right. It's simply yeah. you're stating a matter of fact. I'm, now I can just say it's a matter of fact and say, yeah, here's the budget for, for what we're talking about. And they're like, okay. I call it the investment, but not, but uh, the budget's good too. Yeah, yeah, I, it's, yeah, I have a way of fr framing it. Uh, you know, I use the word budget if they ask what the budget is. You always use their keyword if they bring it up first. Mm -hmm. And sometimes oh, they're right. like, hey, what should I budget for this? You should budget this much. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I'm with you, you know, uh, it's insane to talk about money early on in the conversation. The yep. money conversation, as far as I'm concerned, comes at the end of everything else because I want people to be interested in the offer before they know how much it is. Because yep. if you're not interested, then all you're doing is filtering it through. Well, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, only, the only exception to that I make is I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste anybody else's time, but especially I don't want to waste my time. So I do throw out a range early on in the conversation or in the mm -hmm. sales process uh, yeah. for, for me at the end of a first meeting. And I know this is not true in everybody's sale, but for me, before I walk out of that first meeting, I know what I'm going to come back to you with. I know exactly what yeah. I'm going to propose. I know exactly how much it's going to cost. So uh, I'll throw, you know, uh, I've got to go back and, you know, work on the numbers and, you know, sharpen my pencil and all that stuff. But just based on the, this conversation, I think we're in the 50, 55,000 range, something mm -hmm. like that. Is that about what you had in mind? Because if yeah. somebody goes, oh, no, I was thinking 2,000, I don't want to waste my time putting together a proposal and coming back because yeah. I'm yeah. not right for them and they're not right for me right now. And that's good to do um, early on is to give uh, a range uh, if, if, if you operate in a range sort of situation, right? Some people have a set price, like it's this much. Well, my, my price is a set price, but I'm offering a range just so that they, I, I can okay, feel so, them okay. out. Oh, so what you're doing is calling, called number priming. Number priming. Right? Number priming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you give a big range so that their brain operates in that context so that when they hear your number, it's probably in the either mid or below the midline of that range is my guess. 100%. Right. Exactly. So if you say, hey, it's between, you know, forty-five dollars to $55,000. The brain here is the highest number. That's the highest threat level, right? Because everything below that is better than that. So when you come in at 48, which you knew it was going to be 48 the whole time, 
they're comparing it to 55. Well, that's lower, right? It's, it's called number priming. And you can do it in different ways. You don't even, you don't even have to use dollar amounts. You can say, you know, uh, I'm a public speaker. I've probably spoken to over 100,000 people in my like 10 years of public speaking. And of those 100,000 people, I'd say, you know, 80,000 of them have reached out to me in some way, right? And so by the time you get to a number, like this was gonna, the budget or the investment for this is $48,000. Well, the other numbers you, you sent out there were higher than that. Now, I don't think that's a way of operating in integrity. Personally, I don't use that technique, but purely neurologically, it is a thing that works. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm actually not trying to get them to say, "Oh, the high number is too high, but that lower number is better." I just want to find out: Am I in the range? Am, exactly. Am, yeah, yeah. If I if I know I'm going to come back with a fifty-five thousand dollar proposal, and you say I've got two thousand in the budget, there's there's no play there. If, if I say fifty-five thousand, you got fifty-three thousand in mind. I know I can either take something out of the program or show you enough value yeah. to come up. I just don't want to waste time. Here's here's I a framing have. I use for that. Um, is this only works after you've really elicited, like, what is it that they want to accomplish? Like, what, what's the real get for them? Well, I know that at that point. Right, exactly. And here's the phrase I use that is, and here I'm going to use it in your term, like this range. So to have, so let's recap. You want to have X, Y, and Z. You want to make sure this big thing happens. Okay. So let me ask you this. Does a range of this to this sound like an appropriate investment to have that? Now they're not thinking about the money. What they're thinking about is, is this, is this appropriate or not? Do we, they're making it an appropriateness calculation rather than I'm a spending, I have to spend this much money calculation. Love that. And if you can get them to say yes, that this is a, appropriate, they haven't said yes to anything yet. Not even a price range, just that that sounds like an appropriate range to get that result. Now, if they say that doesn't, now that doesn't mean they're going to say yes to it. It's like they might say, yeah, it sounds appropriate, but gosh, that's a realistically, that's a big stretch for me. But now at least you know that it's appropriate, right? For them. And it's like, well, what now you know the conversation goes to, okay, well, if it's appropriate, what what do you want to do about that? Right? Yep. Type of thing. Um, I'm not saying like, like, no, put on a credit card or like that, but you can have a different kind of conversation. I get it. Of, handling what I call like pre-framing objections. We haven't even gotten to that, uh, how to pre-frame an objection. That's a whole other half hour. Well, I, I hope you'll come back sometime because we're actually out of time. In fact, oh my God, we're already at 103. <laughs> we're three minutes over and uh, I, I always like to start and end on time, but uh, I find you fascinating. You're Thank you. absolutely welcome back anytime. And I'm okay. sharing my screen. This is, a, but for those who can't see this, because uh, this will be converted into a podcast, could you tell people how to reach you? Yes. So uh, the, the easiest way to get into my world is to go to my website. It's mindmagnetizer.com. Uh, there you'll find uh, links if you want to go to the workshop. I'd, I'd love to have you there. It, we have so much fun and you will get a deeper insight into your specific message by the end. Also, um, at the bottom of the website, I have some free eBooks. Uh, it will ask you for your email. Don't worry about that. Jeff and I had a conversation earlier. It's like my social, my, uh, my social media presence is almost nothing. Um, 
I have emailed that list maybe once or twice in the last five years. It's don't worry about it. <laughs> it's a low investment. It's just like long ago, some marketing person told me you got to be capturing emails. So that's what I do. Just in case one day I might email you. But uh, there's an ebook called The Neurology of Yes, which breaks down a lot of these concepts and an ebook called uh, Big Brand Mistakes. Love it, Michael. And as somebody who has attended your, your webinar, I, I urge everybody to go because Michael really does get into your specifics. I think yeah. there are only six or seven people there. And you yeah, yeah, I, I, I cap it at 10 per uh, per month. Yeah, really so fascinating. Spend well, time it. and attention on, every, on everyone in the room. Love it. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for sharing your Thanks, brilliance with us so generously today. I hope you will come back. And uh, guys, I'll end as I always do. Please remember that sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. That's right. Have a great day, everybody. Have a great weekend. See you next time. Thanks, Michael. Thank you.